Hey everybody, Zach here. Hope you are having a fantastic week. I'm really excited to share this week's episode with you. But before we dive in, just wanted to give a quick thank you to our friends over at Mongoose for making today's conversation possible. So as enrollment marketers, we spend a lot of time, money, energy, and effort trying to get new prospects to our website, right? We launched digital ad campaigns. We spent a lot of money on paid search. We spent a lot of time and effort creating content to help boost our organic rankings. And sometimes we forget, right, that getting people to the website is only half the challenge, right? Once they're on your site, you've got to deliver a really frictionless, really delightful uh, user experience so that you're getting users to the information that they want as quickly as possible. And chatbots can help with this, right? Chatbots aren't brand new. We've been talking about chatbots for a while. You're seeing them pop up more and more on university websites. But there's a real difference between a basic chatbot and a true enterprise virtual assistant. A true enterprise virtual assistant is technology that helps visitors complete tasks that normally only a human would be able to assist with. So more complicated queries, more complicated questions. So what your website might actually need, right? If you're worried about your user experience, if it's not you know uh, up to snuff, what your website might really need is Harmony, which is brought to you by Mongoose. You can learn more about how you can use Google Analytics to evaluate whether or not your site can get by with a basic chatbot or whether it might need something like Mongoose's Harmony. So you can learn more about this by accessing a new free guide uh, at mongooseresearch.com forward slash enrollify. That's mongooseresearch.com forward slash enrollify. And this guide will help you determine what sort of chatbot you need and how to better your user, your site user experience as a whole. So thanks guys. Again, that's mongooseresearch.com forward slash enrollify. Enjoy today's episode. Good morning. How are you doing, sir? I'm super excited. Are you? It's, oh, that's uh, good to hear. Well, Why are you excited? Well, it's it's another good morning. That's part of it. Uh, um, well, we still have a lot of snow in the ground. Um, I don't know where you are. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But um, we still have snow in the ground. But yesterday, 50 degrees. Wow. Big five zero. Um, so it really it, it sped up some of the melting process and. This is the time of year where you start to get excited. It's that first day of slightly warmer weather, mm. and you assume it's going to be that way, and you know it's not. But in your mind, you're like, oh, it's, so, it's warm. Things are changing. Spring's coming. Um, I'm a month away from that, realistically. But, you know, that just gets you excited. The sun's still out. It's going to be in the 40s for the next few days before rain comes. Oh, so I'm excited. Good to hear. Good to hear. Hey, I, I can feel the positive vibes all the way over on the West Coast. So um, I think so that's a good Well, time. speaking of West Coast, where are you? So I've moved um, a whole 30 minutes north of where I was last <laughs> last time we talked. Um, and we are in uh, Cardiff-by-the-Sea, uh, also just known as Cardiff-by-Locals, um, which is basically a northern suburb of San Diego. Um, it's about 30 minutes north. It's still technically in San Diego County. Uh, but the place that we're staying in is this cool little like penthouse above the, it's actually the host doesn't even live in, uh, in the main home, but they, the main home is also an Airbnb. So, um, okay. it's been cool though, because this is the first time we've had like a view. 
so we have a nice little uh, balcony and we can go out and actually like it's not like a amazing ocean view to be totally candid but you can see the water which is cool um so the sunsets are are pretty are pretty remarkable so hey i'm also doing well mickey i can't complain um it's been a tough it's been a tough week work-wise um just in terms of you know things to do and getting those things done but working to the backdrop of the ocean can't can't complain too much you had me at penthouse. <laughs> you know, that, that's about all I said. You had me at penthouse. Uh, so awesome. Well, I'm I'm super excited that we were able to uh, get together and get another episode uh, and conversation going. Yes, uh, yes. What are we going to talk about today? So uh, we've got a se- several things we want to talk about. But first, I wanted to share a little bit about my first in- uh, introduction or experience uh, with MChat, which for those listening... If you've never participated in MChat, it happens, I believe it's every Thursday night at like 9 p.m. Eastern time on tw- on Twitter. Um, I almost said Twinter. Uh, I don't know, winter's on my mind, but uh, yes. <laughs> it happens on, <laughs> happens on Twitter. And um, it's basically just a group of mostly folks who are enrollment managers and or some partners in the space, and they really just get together and have a conversation. So there's typically a moderator. I think Will Patch from uh, Niche is the the moderator. And then I think sometimes he passes the baton to to somebody else. And it's really just an an opportunity for folks to get together for about an hour and talk about the things that are on their minds. And apparently it's been going on for like a while. Um, And there are some uh, active regulars. And I decided to join in for the first time and um, see sort of what the buzz was about. And there were probably about, I don't know, maybe 10 of us kind of talking. And I, I proposed this question about, uh, Clubhouse, Mickey. And I, I asked folks, Hey, what are, what are people thinking about, uh, Clubhouse? Have you joined Clubhouse? Do you think that this is a viable channel for, uh, enrollment marketing? Just what are your unfiltered thoughts? And the review, you know, the, the reviews were pretty mixed. A couple of people mentioned, you know, avoiding it at all costs other people who had actually downloaded it thought it was interesting but weren't sure how it would work in the context of student recruitment or admissions and um i actually then went and uh put together just a couple of ideas that i thought were could be interesting for if folks wanted to use it um how might they use it and really mickey the only reason i did that was because my 17 year old brother and his buddies were texting me, asking me if they could buy invites. So uh, to, to bring you quickly up to speed huh. if, and to our listeners, if you're not familiar, Clubhouse is like invite only right now. So you have to get an invite in order to get access to the app. And the app is also really, it's only available on um, iOS right now. And it's, it's a drop-in audio uh, app. So basically you join conversations almost like you were to tap into like a live podcast um, and then you can raise your hand, you can ask questions and the moderators uh, can, you know, say, Mickey, yes, what's your question? So it, it's basically doing what we're doing now, Mickey, but it is as if it was like happening live and people could participate, listen in and and whatnot to the conversation. But then once the conversation's over, it's done, right? Like there, it doesn't save the conversation at all. So I think Clubhouse is interesting for a wide variety of reasons that we won't go into now. But what I thought was most interesting um, and why I was thinking, why, why aren't more people in higher ed talking about this right now is that I had my brother, again, and his buddies who are 
you know, 17 years old high school seniors asking if they could pay me to get an invite to this platform. And I thought, wow, like, is there, is this representative of like how younger, uh, you know, Gen Zers feel about Clubhouse? And come to find out after doing some, uh, uh, you know, this is, this is definitely not sound market research, but after texting some other uh, friends of mine and asking, hey, have your siblings been talking about Clubhouse? Uh, it seems to be true. Younger, younger, seventeen to nineteen-year-olds are really interested in getting onto this platform. So, I don't know if this is just the next new sort of shiny thing, or whether or not this is something that's actually worth paying attention to. But um, at the very least, I've been surprised by the seeming demand from Gen Zers. So it's it's really um, intriguing. Are you suggesting that schools use this as a way to raise more money by uh, charging students to for invites? <laughs> I mean, I know, I know the pandemic Everyone needs more money. Trying times, yeah. Uh, so yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah. I suppose if you have an account, you know, it's really it'd be. I don't know how we convert that to schools because I assume to have an account that's it's for me as an individual, not as not as my organization. Uh, and then I have to allow my organization to piggyback off me and use my invites. I, I, are there a limit to invites? If yeah, you have, you have, you have like, I, depending on how active you are in uh, the app, you get like more invites. I think I have like four or something like that, that mm. I can give out, but I'm not that active. So how much are you, what, what's, what's the going rate? So I've seen any anywhere between fifteen and twenty five dollars. So it's not crazy. Oh, that's um, it. It's, it's small. I know. I know. Well, I mean, again, it's not that hard to get an invite. It's like, do you remember Gmail when Gmail was like invite only uh, way back when, and it was like, oh, you had to know somebody to know who knew, you know, who knew somebody in order to get access to Gmail, and now it's like, and that was like just a beautiful like marketing like a ploy. Yeah. This is the same thing. Um, but no, I mean, I think that the the value add here or the opportunity for anyone working in admissions to like tap into clubhouse would be one to just look like, you know, what's up um, and you're relevant and two to create a clubhouse works in like with uh, basically you create like rooms and then you have a conversation in a room, right? Like a club. And that conversation is typically topic based, but then they bring in like thought leaders to have a conversation. It's, it really is like a podcast, but live. Um, so one, you know, just uh, idea off the cuff would be to if you were a grad program a grad business school um and you wanted to like create a club you know that was like future mbas like a, a room that was future mbas and then you know maybe that is a place where there's conversation with faculty and or thought leaders in the space and anyone that's like interested in the possibility of maybe going to business school one day could tap into that conversation so again this is this is very very early, and I don't think schools should necessarily go and spend tons of money and trying to whip up custom clubhouse rooms right now. Um, but I do think it's something that's just that's worth at least keeping your pulse on and not completely ignoring. Anyways, I, I will. I agree very much with that. Um, and and that I, you know I think it's a it is a um can get you into a precarious situation if, if somehow you have invites and you're giving out some invites to certain people, you know, that can, can come across as very exclusive and in, in, in higher ed. We like to consider ourselves a very inclusive community. Exactly. So, and that, um, that's, so that's actually the feedback that people that a couple of people on Twitter kind of gave is like, look, I'm going to avoid this because it is pretty exclusive. Um, yes. 
So yeah. Um, and it's not to say you you know if if other people are already on it you know having some conversations great um, if those conversations came to you but uh, but not in a, in a sense of, of trying to host something that's exclusive you know um, now the other thing you you mentioned uh, as you were kind of uh, sharing a little bit more about about Clubhouse for everyone who who may not know uh, what it is. You know, it, you you talked about you know the the next shiny new thing, and what I think about um, with that is you know because there's social media out there and that's you know con- playing an increasing role in our ability to connect and engage. You know, 15 years ago it was Facebook uh, and newly um, out there Instagram and and there were Twitter and things, and so you know it's it's there there are once was one or two really shiny new things. And now um, we have a bunch of things that aren't quite as shiny. I, I see, you know, if we think of the brightest light, I just consider social as the brightest light and all the other pieces are just a little component of it. And they have varying levels of shininess. Um, yeah. And and I think, you know, the key is, yes, keeping a pulse on that. Um, and, you know, having... A, a, and more than a pulse, you you need to understand the dynamics of social and how multiple tools, um, uh, various whether it's you know some form of Twitter or WhatsApp and all these other things, what are they all? How do they all play together in your recruitment plans? And as you think about how basic or advanced you are, um, and how advanced you want to be, if 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 you have a a plan to be advanced and you don't have this incorporated into your ability to engage someone, I don't know that you're that advanced. Yeah. Uh, you might be advanced in a certain area, but not across the board. This has to be, you know, if you, if you don't understand the term social selling, um, then you're not ready to be, have so, be advanced socially in terms of your strategies. Um, yeah. Not that you as if you're the VP or Dean have to have that expertise in it, but someone on your team has to, that understands strategy and how to build a plan around it and can execute on it. And that, is, you know, I think that's just increasingly important for institutions, yeah. uh, especially as you're trying to understand. I mean, we, we were talking right before we recorded, it's like, you know, what's going on right now is, you know, two year institutions just starting to plan out um, really most of them, some of the, are ahead of the game, but most of them are starting really to plan out what is our summer and fall strategy here that we need to be uh, implementing so we can hit our fall goals. Four-year institutions, of course, uh, decisions are out, and now they're really anxious and nervous about what the numbers look like and and just the not knowing the variability, the swing that can happen in your number. Um, that plus and minus uh, is just greater now, and that is making a lot of folks nervous. But as you think about that variability, or even if it's back to the quote unquote old normal, uh, you know, where it's a, you know, the variability is there, it's just less, you know, having that mix with social selling as a part of what you do in your recruitment, um, this is where that can really come into play, um, working with your accepts, getting them to deposit. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a that makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is, schools spend a lot of time on and and money on their communication flows. And I would even sort of just like rope like search campaigns into that category of like the sequences of communications that a prospective student is going to receive uh, between the time they come into your pipeline and the time that they hopefully end up enrolling in your institution. 
And schools spend a lot of time thinking about this in like a linear fashion, right? Like, okay, what is the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, twelfth communication that we want to send people that come into this pipeline? Um, and I think that that's great. Like, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. But one of the things that I've just noticed is that there is such a dearth of strategic content planning when it comes to any channel outside of email, right? Like, and, and I guess maybe you could include direct mail on that, but like, Schools are still obsessed with, and, and most of their budget is going to the sort of tried and true linear sequence of communications. And again, I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong there, but I am just continually floored by how little thought there appears to be in any sort of digital sequencing of communications. And what I mean by that is like, how is your social strategy tying into what they're receiving in their inbox, right? Like if your student, if your if your prospects, right, are in your, um, are receiving your emails, they should also be seeing something about your institution that's relevant to the time of year, right? That's relevant really to the, even like the topic of that, of that email sequence. Um, so that when they're scrolling on Instagram or when they're scrolling through TikTok or wherever wherever they might be, um, they're being reinforced with the same sort of message. And this idea is not new. Like, and what I'm specifically talking about isn't necessarily just like multi-channel, but being like way more intentional about like in the same way that we prioritize and we look at sort of like, oh, hey, how... how the, the way that we evaluate how our admission cycle is going tends to be on like, okay, how many deposits have we got? How many apps have we got? Right. Oh, how, you know, what are, what are the open rates and click through rates on our conflows? Right. And, and we either feel good about those open and click through rates and feel like, yeah, yeah, this is, this cycle is going well. Or we feel like, uh Oh, something's really wrong. Like we've dipped below, you know, 19% opens and 6% click through rates or whatever it is. Right. And then there's like this like panic freakout mode. Um, and I think, I, I wish that that same level of focus was thought about like the digital journey, like tracking the digital footprint of your prospective students and ensuring that your website, your social media, uh, every video that you put out is strategically spliced together in a way that is thematic um, and is journey-based. And I think that there's just a ton of room for schools to step up their uh, nurturing strategies that exist outside of the inbox. Yep. Uh, I there there's there's the key there is there's so much room, right? Yeah. To enhance what we're doing, um, you know, I think maybe we should think about a, a future episode, really diving in um, because we're we're pretty far into this one. But you know, when we say there's room to grow. Um, what are, you know, the three things, you know, three easy, low-hanging fruit things you can do to take advantage of that quote-unquote room? Um, you know, I, I certainly have ideas that come to mind um, because there's, you know, just when you say relevancy based on the time of the cycle or year that a message is going out, you know, that creates relevancy. Uh, individualization creates relevancy. Um, and how do we, it's one thing to say, make it relevant, but how do, you know, what does that really mean? Yeah, if we yeah. were to talk about um, the push for FAFSA or the push for scholarship, um, you know, if someone's going to apply for scholarship, what does it mean to be timely and relevant? Uh, and, and give some, I think, some good examples. I think that would be uh, very beneficial for 
a lot of our listeners as they think about ways they can advance their technology or their communication to another level. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I, yeah, that, that warrants its own episode for sure, maybe even a series. Um, and, you know, w- one of the things that comes to mind in, in, immediately, Mickey, when you say like, oh, like there's a lot of room to grow. What, like, what does that even, what does that even mean? I'm working right now at, with a top MBA program and just in a very small capacity, they've said, hey, like we really uh, enjoy the content that you guys put out on Enrollify. Could you just like have a look at our Comflow and like let us know if you think it's sort of where we might have room to grow from a primarily from a creative standpoint. And this particular <laughs> uh, institution, this particular program, their open rates and their click-through rates are awesome, quite frankly. Like they, I mean, you would expect it because of the quality of the program, but like they're they're doing a lot of things right. However, right, in this particular context, they're trying to just, they want to just move the needle. They want to they not just have a good performing, uh, a, a comm flow that performs well, but actually one that sort of like stands out, right? And, and really feels different. And I was shocked getting into this analysis and this audit at how, quite frankly, uh, poor their emails were. Right. I was and I, I, I was a little bit uh, to be totally candid, even even nervous about taking this project on because I was like, oh, well, what value am I going to be at be able to add to this program that, you know, has lots of resources and can pull from, you know, copywriters from wherever. Um, but then as I got into it, I was like, whoa, there is so much low hanging fruit here. Like your your email click through rates could be twice as as high as they are right now by reimagining sort of the tone and the style and the format of these communications. So I bring that up only to say that like, this is a, again, a a top rated program that has lots of resources and they're struggling to do that. So like, if they, if, if they're struggling there, you, if you're, you know, from a smaller shop and you've got a limited budget, right? If you can focus on true differentiation um, in your in your sequencing of communications, and maybe maybe you don't have control over your conflows, maybe that's sort of fixed, but maybe you do this digitally, like being different, being a little bit more creative in how you position the value offerings of your institution. There, the bar is really low right now, and so it's easy to get noticed um, if you're willing to take that risk. And and, and I think the key is, you know, for a small shop how can we focus our time to, to attack the right strategy to give us the best results um, that doesn't take eight years to complete? So let's start with a smaller piece of it. And, but you've, you know, drawing that line in the sand and doing that is sometimes difficult um, to do, to make that decision and, and to narrow down and maybe not address certain um, areas uh, of, of your efforts, but, you know, making that decision can be tough. But if you do that, and you dive in deep, boy, you can really begin to see some results. Uh, and, and you have something to measure, by the way, that then can be tweaked and improved and replicated in other areas. Yeah, yeah. So the key is just starting. Yeah. Making the decision and starting. That's sometimes the hardest part. Well, and, and even and even testing. And I think that like we talk, we've talked about testing a, a fair amount here, but 
most in my experience, and maybe this isn't true, and maybe some folks are going to email us after and say, I wish this was true, but it's not true in my context. You know, most people are willing, like most leaders are willing to allow you to test things. Like, and if, if they're not like they're, they're not a great leader for 2021 in terms of like, when it comes to your communications, when it comes to your social, like the ability to say, hey, yeah, this is performing decently or hey, this is performing, you know, by industry standards. But could we try like in the next three emails that we send in for in our in our drip sequences? What if instead we just had like a, a version B or a version B and C um, and ju- just for three emails? Right. Well, we'll the, we will conclude the test in three weeks. And if neither email B or C performs better, we'll just stick with the A, right? Like, I, I really do think most people are going to be receptive to that. I don't, I don't, I don't understand. Um, and in, in my experience, like, if you, if you frame it that way, most people will, will buy in. Um, and I think that that's, that's exactly what we need right now. That's what's, that's what the schools that are sort of scratching their heads wondering, oh gosh, like, how do we increase deposits? How do we, you know... What, what are we going to do to like uh, our, the top of the funnel is looking a little, you know, a little thin right now. Like, well, gosh, you know, how, how do we, how do we sort of increase the, the number of people flowing into our pipelines? And I think that it really just does start with taking sort of your existing uh, communications plan, your existing assets and thinking, okay, what would a version B of this sort of look like? That's really different. And how can I just test that and see whether or not that my audience responds um, better to that sort of communication. So I know talk is cheap, um, but <laughs> but I, I I really do believe it's and I, I my belief is just being reinforced by working on this little project and being like wow if these people can't nail it like there's huge opportunity for all of our listeners to to stand out. So there very much is, and there's huge need for it. Yeah. Uh, You've got to find a way to get through. If your institution is anxious about their fall numbers right now, uh, because they're a little down or you know people are delayed, whatever the reason is that's causing that need to be anxious, you know what can you do between now and May one to get to solidify your class? Let's put it the way: to solidify the class, what steps can you take? And looking at these messages that are going out, ensuring that you're doing everything you can to make them as relevant as you can and to fully engage folks, you can make small tweaks right now Hmm. that have impact and that help push your institution uh, to the top of that list as as students are considering which schools they want to attend over the next several months or next couple of months because next week is March. Zach, I don't know if you know that. It is very difficult to believe we are one sixth of the way through this year. Oh gosh, Mickey, you're freaking me out. I just yeah, one sixth of the way. I told someone I was like, yeah, uh, yeah, can we can we uh, regroup in March? And they were like, yeah, what time next week works? And I was like, yes, oh, that's crap. right. <laughs> yeah, uh, how's eight thirty Monday morning? Uh, we'll regroup in March. I mean, because if if we're talking May one, that's sixty five days. Yeah, yeah. 65. And if you think of all the things your institution is doing over these next 65 or so days to engage your prospects, to get them to the point of depositing, you know, what if you took 10% of that communication and tweaked it? Hmm. That could be enough. Yeah. Yeah. I think don't leave it out on the table. Yeah. Don't leave it out. All right. Uh, uh, What we 
we pause there. I think yeah, that's, that's a great that, I was going to say, that, that's a good wrap. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, if you're listening to you and you just want some ideas or, hey, you want us to just like review something and say, hey, like, here's what I'm, here's what I think you guys are saying. Um, let us know. Honestly, we, uh, we both love talking and sharing our opinions. So um, that shouldn't be problematic. Well, sir, uh, as always, thank you for your time. Also for our listeners, we've got a couple of very exciting announcements uh, coming down the pike really soon. Um, I think we'll we'll leave them hanging for now, Mickey. We'll, we'll yes. we can announce it uh, announce it yes. later. But um, but yes, stay tuned for for some exciting stuff very very soon. Awesome. Thank All you, right. Zach. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care. Mm-hmm.